Welcome to episode 269 of the Whatnots Review Show, where every week we pick a story and we talk about it. This could be a movie, TV series, anime, manga, comic book, audio fiction, all kinds of entertainment. We watch it, read it, listen to it, and then we come back here and talk about it. My name is Melissa Wilkinson, and I am joined, as always, by Kyle Springer. Good morning, Melissa. How are you? I'm doing okay. It's a holiday weekend, and that means yeah. sales. Sales, indeed. Yeah, it's a Labor Day weekend when we're recording th- this. I thankfully have a three-day weekend, have the day off tomorrow. Uh, and then I have a five-day weekend after that. I, I, I took some time off of work uh, to play video games. <laughs> well, which video game? Starfield. Starfield comes out on September 6th. <gasps> it's technically kind of already out. If you pre-ordered the like exclusive special edition, they gave you early access. But I was like, nah, I'm fine. I'll just do my little five day weekend. And it's going to be real awkward because I go into work on t- on Tuesday and I'm like, well, this is it. This is the only day I'm here <laughs> this week. So sayonara, suckers. <laughs> so. Good stuff. That's what I'm up to playing video games, anticipating playing video <laughs> games. So good playing stuff a video game, that. dreaming about the next video game you shall play. Right. Yes. Yeah, abs- absolutely. <laughs> and it's it's <laughs> funny, too, because the game I'm playing right now is called Sea of Stars. And the next one is Starfield. And and so just all I'm I'm just getting all of the different kinds of stars here. This is the meme yeah. where <laughs> the guy whistles at another girl and his girlfriend looks shocked. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, have, have have you gotten anything good with these sales that you mentioned? Are you planning uh, any sh- shopping trips t- tomorrow to support uh, the yesterday laborers? Yesterday I went to. I, yesterday I went to V Stock, uh, which is where you get discount it books, movies, games, etc. It's one of those. We've all got one of some kind. Ours yeah. is V Stock. Uh, we have vintage good, stock. That's what ours is. I guess it's just shorter here. Yeah. For the, <laughs> the high paced city life of in St. Louis, the city that never <laughs> sleeps. Uh, I bought the season one box set of True Detective for a beautiful $18. Cool. Now, did, so you bought that this weekend after having watched. Uh, yes, I bought stuff. it okay, not... yesterday. I had time gotcha. to watch gotcha, one gotcha. 15 minute special bonus featurette but it comes with much more commentaries cool it's very moody black and white pictures of matthew mcconaughey and woody harrelson to have on good. my shelf good yeah <laughs> that's what we all need what we all deserve so yeah speaking of true detective that's what we're talking about this week here on the show uh so in in september uh we normally mm. start what we call shame timber uh here these first two weeks and this one's ki- kind of a shame timber like honorary member to shame timber we we normally do yeah. movies but nothing has said that we have to do movies for shame timber 
this shame timber is the month where we pitch each other movies that we should have seen by now whether it's a cultural thing we have to check off our list a personal thing we have to check off our list and we've kept it to movies because movies are a one and done thing you know if you feel bad you haven't watched any of this show and you watch season one for one week on the review show did you really watch it uh, but this was perfect because it's an anthology series, True Detective is, and season one is an entire self-contained story. And for what I've heard, this is the best of it. <laughs> you can come in and pretty much Mostly. just watch season one. Yeah. Uh, I have to say, of True Detective, do not skip season three. That one is also uh, I incredible. Have, I have also heard season three is very good. I Yeah. Is there... Join, should I? Just for the context, watch season two before I watch season three. I know they're not related, but just like artistically. Do I need to know what season two so. did before I see what season three does? So my personal kind of opinion of season two is that it just wasn't memorable um, mm. in the same way that like the performances of Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey are memorable in in this. Yeah. The way the, the cinematography is memorable from that like long one sequence shot through the whole the whole uh, project like they they just don't really have anything that stands out, even though they have good actors and I think it's still Kerry Joji Fukunaga. Is that how you say his name? Mm. Fukunaga. Fukunaga. Um, yeah. Um, it's it's still the same team, but it, it just I don't know. It just didn't really stand out. Uh, and I mean, I think it's uh, Colin Farrell who plays one of the detectives, right? It's like they they have good actors and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it just didn't seem to hit. Uh, and then season three, uh, the main detective is Mahershala Ali. Uh, and mm. what's interesting about that one is that he plays the same character in multiple time periods when he's like a cool. younger detective and when he's older and reti- retired and dealing with Alzheimer's. Um, and, uh, we also have, uh, we have review show alum Scoop McNeary as one of the other characters. I swear you told me Scoot was in here. And I thought as I went through season one, I'm like, is he the killer? Will I see him at the end? I'm on episode seven. Where's Scoot? Season three. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that, that's like. Just Mahershala Ali's performance in the whole thing is just incredible. Um, mm. So yeah, I, I highly recommend season th- th- three. Season two is skippable. Like you said, it, it is an anthology series, but season three also very, very loosely connects to season one. Huh. There's like an Easter egg or two, t- okay. or, two or two. There's like a... A, p- a paper that has like a like a Louisiana detectives like solve something. It's like, oh, hey, season one. I got you. OK, yeah. So that's that's kind of it. OK, good to know. But yeah, true detective season one. So 
uh, Melissa, you had not seen this. I had, uh, obviously, since I know all mm. stuff about all of that. Mm. Uh, what what was your like thoughts going into it? What were you expecting? What did you already kind of know about it uh, that you were bringing to the table? I I knew the two leads. Didn't know anybody else who was in it. Thought Scoot McNary was in this season. He is not. <laughs> uh, I knew it was a murder with cultish pseudo-religious ties to it. Mm-hmm. And I vaguely knew some of, uh, not to say anything about it at this stage, how they identify the killer and who the killer is. Although not clearly, because my brain, I think, smushed up some of those details with an old episode of X-Files. Sure. <laughs> so I, I did not know much. Uh, oh, I okay. knew time was a flat circle. so i was happy to finally understand what that means in context yeah yeah um (laughs) well now that you've watched it what do you think did did you enjoy it um big surprises here there's so much i didn't know i didn't know about the time period it was in about the structure of the show about how it moves back and forth and changes the perspectives. I had Mm -hmm. a great time with this. I understand why this has been so lauded and remains uh, a touch point here, practically 10 years later. You gotta watch season one of true detective. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I love this one a lot. It's one of my favorites for sure. Um, I think, yeah, just the performance, performances in this from characters mm-hmm. all yes. even some of the like smaller side characters that i don't know the yeah. actors names they're uh their boss on the police yes horse does a great job right um yes sam witwicky's dad from the transformers movies <laughs> didn't even make that connection but sure yeah um so, so you're saying that this is connected to the tra- his son is working with the okay yeah <laughs> yes this got is it. in the Transformers Sam Witwicky little <laughs> ladies man two two seven is the true detective <laughs> time is a flat circle Optimus Prime is a truck <laughs> oh man uh, it's good to see Michelle Monaghan uh, yeah. in this. <laughs> too uh she's one of my favorites um yeah I, I i like how you you get this this mystery that presents itself and they think they solve it and then you have this like 10 year time period jump um that you've kind of been getting the whole time because part of it is done in this like modern day interview style Mm. um or, or like interrogation mm. style um and uh yeah they're l- 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 looking back and you get the idea that something's wrong like mm. something didn't add up or who knows what what is really going on here and then um yeah you you learn uh exactly what mm-hmm. happened and what did not ha- ha- happen yeah um 
with all of the, this. So, I mean, it's it's a one season crime show. I You can mm. kind of figure out that they solve the crime by the end. Yeah. So that's not a, mm. a a spoiler per se. But uh, yeah, some some interesting stuff that they do with, with just playing with the format of like, here's a typical crime show. They they work the case, they study, they investigate, they do this and then bam, they got the guy. Right. But no, they don't. Um, so they, they got yeah. some guys. They did not they part get of yeah. all of the guys. It's not a case of wrong guy. It's just a case of, oh, not the right guy, though. There's right. still more we yeah. have to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I think just in terms of like atmosphere, the way the characters talk, it can be both like it really just adds to the atmosphere in a cool way but also kind of make you laugh in a ridiculous way of like what is Cole talking about like what what is he on um this is a show that doesn't really have any direct levity there's not like joke jokes but it is it is so funny to me the dynamic between our two leads that Cole is just like staring out the window talking about the meaninglessness of all life. And Hart is just like, dude, can you be normal for a couple of minutes? Why did I get stuck with you? You're going to scare the locals. If you, if you, if you right? do, do this. God, yeah, it's like it's it's the the conflict in their dynamic that makes for the comedy in the show, which I mm-hmm. wouldn't say this is a comedy by any means. No. Means. But there are moments that you watching this are like, this is kind of ridiculous. Like, this is wild, Um, Mm -hmm. which which helps, like, especially compared to like shows like Dark that we've watched here in the past, which have that same kind of like like there's an evil that's like over this Mm -hmm. town and it's just depressing and there really isn't a joke in that in any of the situ- situations. Mm. Um, but yeah, this at, at least has just some like situational comedy. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, good stuff with that. Um, I, I like this a lot. I think it's real strong with just even like the opening credits, how that a- yeah. adds to the t- tone, um, how, just yeah, the way the characters speak, the technology they have at their fingertips or that they don't have. Um, yeah, yeah, just good stuff. Good stuff all around. So, and it's only eight episodes, which is fairly. I was expecting like a ten or twelve. I was really amazed at how much this show was able to get done in eight hours. They pack a lot in. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's compelling. It's it's not very bloody. It's it's violent in more of a psychological way. You told me this was a pretty heavy show. And after watching it, I can say like this was a this was much easier to watch than like Hannibal was Hannibal, which is Mm, not just that it's far gorier, but Hannibal feels so like emotionally toxic. I want a Hannibal. I show I enjoy it. Maybe not enjoy, but like thoroughly respect and appreciate. Uh, that show leaves me feeling so paranoid in such a weird way. True Detective is a lot more. 
I don't know, in touch with a normal humanity that I feel like I can grasp. Yeah. It's like there's definitely monsters here, but I don't feel like I'm in a world where anybody could be a monster at any time. Michelle yeah. Monahan's just Michelle Monahan. Yeah. Um and I, I I have to say that that the show ends up on a very hopeful note. Um, yes. Which which is an interesting thing. I I I think something will discuss a bit when we get into spoilers. Um but yeah, despite the kind of nature of the case that they are are investigating um yeah there is this like last hopeful note at the end there mm-hmm. that's just like oh good you know what i i kind of feel happy yeah. right yeah so, good stuff um do you have uh, anything else you want to add or should we do a quick go we, we we didn't really do a plot synopsis but we kind of really. mentioned some uh, stuff it's it's 1995 in a small town in southern Louisiana and improbably named detectives Marty Hart and Rust Cole are called in to investigate uh, a young woman found murdered wearing sort of a cultish like crown of antlers uh, like covered in like twigs and things sort of this does not look like a normal murder. And they investigate it. We watch them do this very slowly over like 95, 96. It truly takes them a while. We see them chase down all sorts of different leads. Mm -hmm. They think they've got the guy. And then in 2012, we see each of these detectives being uh, not exactly interrogated, more like interviewed. Can we have your full official story on the record again, please? Uh, by these two younger detectives who allude to things being weird since they they believe they caught the killer and that these two detectives have had some sort of massive falling out and haven't seen each other in like 10 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting one for sure. I don't think I'd add much to that. You, you, you just kind of see how it all comes together at the end there. And it's good. It's fun. Mm-hmm. Fun stuff. This is why I like crime shows because yeah. that like you want to follow the same leads that they do. You make up your own theories, right? Yeah. All of that stuff. Um, you're just left wondering. And then finally they solve the case. So cool. Um, well, yeah, with that, we will take a quick break for some housekeeping. And when we come back, we will dive into True Detective season one a little bit more in depth. So we will be right back. Here at The Whatnots, we make multiple different shows, and a lot of hard work goes into making them, so we would love it if you check them all out. If you enjoy our shows, patreon.com slash the whatnots is the best place to show your support. For just a dollar a month, you can get early access to episodes, and at our $3 tier, a Patreon-exclusive podcast, The Pilots Club. You can even get a shout-out and thank you on most of our shows at the $5 tier. And if you're one of our patrons already, Thank you so much. It means the world to us. You can find out more information on our website, thewhatnots.com, as well as your favorite podcasting platform of choice. When you type in The Whatnots, all of our shows will pop up right there. Just don't forget to give us a nice rating and review if you like the shows. You can also find us on YouTube and Twitch for video versions of the shows, trailer reactions, and live streams. And lastly, we have merch. If you want to grab yourself a shirt or a hoodie or a mug or something else, 
Head over to the whatnots.com slash store to pick up some merch today. All right, we are back once again. A big shout out to all of our Patreon supporters. We love you a lot. Thank you. It means a ton. Um, speaking of, over on the Pilots Club for this month, the month of September, uh, we got to watch Winning Time, The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty. Uh, we got to watch the pilot episode of that and talk about it uh, and how pleasantly surprised we were with with that. I, I was interested in it because I grew up a Lakers fan. We also haven't really done many sports movies uh on 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 the the whatnots in any kind of capacity um but winning time had some uh interesting uh like visual elements to the show some comedy that i was not expecting that was all very interesting the way it all came together um so go go ch- check out the pilots club at our three dollar tier and above over on patreon um, and then right here on the review show this past week, we got started on our latest end of the month special, which is Hellboy. Uh, we read the first three v- v- volumes of Mike Mignola's comics. Um, and yeah, I'm excited to continue reading more Hellboy uh, as the months continue. We'll be covering that at the end of each month through the end of November uh, here on the review show. So uh, get excited for all of that. I hadn't read any Hellboy before. So it's, uh, it's interesting to finally get to read those ones. Um, over on the Captain's Log, uh, we had another fantasy draft for episode 250. Uh, the best TV show opening credits and mm-hmm. f- friend of the show, Jack, got to come jo- join us. And we all um, picked our teams, how to speak, of <laughs> uh, who 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 has the best opening credits for all these different TV shows. Will you agree? Will you be surprised at some of the things that were picked? Will you have forgotten that some of these TV shows have some of the best credits, period. Mm. Go check it out. It was a lot of fun. Uh, and last but not least, not much is happening over on the Reactor Core at the moment, uh, but things might be happening in the near future here as uh, some some interesting movies uh, are starting to come out. There's The a Haunting in Venice uh, in a couple weeks here. Um, who knows if we'll talk about that one, but right. I know Melissa and I are super I, excited both, about that. Yeah, movie. both of us intend to see it like opening weekend, but I don't <laughs> for these non like big franchise blockbuster movies. I'm never sure like wh- how much we can talk about it. We might both leave a haunting in, in Venice and be like, huh, a finisher was haunted. Like, there you go. Like poor eye with his mustache. Look at him go. <laughs> there you go indeed uh but be on the lookout for some more stuff coming down the road from the reactor uh but yeah that is about it for housekeeping right now so i will get to spoilers bam okay here we are for spoilers for true detective season one 
Yeah. Uh, so something that you mentioned at the in the first part of the the show that this show is not really gory. Um, that mm. is something that I I don't. I, I did not think about when I was really watching it the first time and then something I didn't think of when I watched it this second time. And I know I so if, if you if you watch this on Max, they have the like yes. stay after the, the credits yeah. to watch some behind the scenes thing. And I remember watching those the first time um, and then I stayed to watch them a sec a second <laughs> time. But I remember there's one it's cl- closer to the end, I think, episode seven, uh, when when they meet back up in modern day times, they go to that storage unit and Cole is showing him all of the the stuff that he still has on the case. And he shows uh, he shows Marty this video tape, which is this kind of like ritual sacrifice of this young girl. Um, and you only get a glimpse of the t- tape. You don't actually get to watch it. Uh, but the creator of the show, Nick Pizzolato, I believe is how you say his name, uh, is is he mentions that. He's like, I'm not really interested in mm. gore. The show is not really mm. bloody in a way that some other crime shows might be. Um and he, he's like, that's why you don't really see the tape. And instead, the scene is much more about Marty and his reaction to the tape, um, which I think is an, an interesting way to show just yeah. how horrible the, the contents of yes. the t- tape are and to see him reacting to that. Like there's in an emotional level to that reaction that I don't think you would necessarily get if it just showed what was on the tape it'd still be like horrifying mm. but because you get to watch his reaction you start to make connections to other things right it's like oh he's watching this young girl get killed he's the family man he has two young girls yes He's also the one that's kind of sacrificing his family for another woman for um, his quote unquote sanity. Uh, (laughs) Right. Like there's all these things of just like, huh, I think it makes for a much more interesting um, piece when you can do things like that in the show. Rather than be like, here's blood, here's guts, here's all of these like, like you, yeah. you, you all also mentioned Hannibal, uh, mm. which would be one that I think we will both recommend yes. at the end of the another sh- antler based crime show. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's one of these sub genres we've run into a couple times. Antler crime. <laughs> yep, indeed. Um, and like in in that show, they make these like they they transform the bodies into these like like sort of art pieces. At least that's yeah. what the killers think, right? And Hannibal continues to do that and continues to show that like here's these yes humans strung up and all these really gruesome disgusting but like, ways but like artistic ways like that's sure, the yeah. the theme of hannibal is that it looks at 
it's there's nobody's just like regularly killed on Hannibal. Everybody is arranged like they are. They're a beautiful culinary gourmet dish that has been plated. Like they are flowers that have been arranged in a vase. Like all these bodies are treated that way from every single killer. Nobody is shot and left in an alley in Hannibal. Yeah. And this has a similar vibe, not to that same extent where you said like, this mm. looks like a, a like a, a seven course meal plated perfectly. Right. It, 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 it does have an artistic presence, but is more cult-like, is more religious, is more backwoods also, right? Like, uh, mm -hmm. it's just sticks and crowns made yeah. out of sticks and stuff like that. Um, but, but yeah, beyond that first body, you mm -hmm. don't really see many other bodies it, it mm -hmm. is more so about the detectives and their relationship with one another uh what they do on this case what they cover up on this case uh yeah. how they solve it how they uh become good friends how they fall like it is their emotional character journey rather than like what like how can we kill people off in interesting ways here right yeah. the the blu-ray box which is i should really go get it's it has like a a tagline on the front of the box like it's still trying to sell itself to you and i think it says like in the description on the back these that they face a case that makes them uh look at themselves differently as like it really tests them as as friends detectives and as men like there's something so like deep soul primal <laughs> going on in this show it affects who you are not merely in a professional and social role but as like a being on earth as a creature of man yeah that's a speck of dust in the universe mm -hmm. and like as as cheesy as that like tagline sounds they're not wrong yeah. like at its heart that is kind of what this show is about um we mentioned that the show ends on kind of a hopeful note, right? And it is that Rusty Cole is is this like deeply cynical person. It just mm -hmm. kind of I I don't know if I'd go as far as to say that he is nihilistic because um, he still seems pretty, to have pretty much yeah. <laughs> I mean, he he still seems to have purpose. Yeah, he does. Though. He does believe that he has a job to do. Yeah, right. Which I feel like if he was a true nihilist, then he wouldn't really have purpose. He'd be like, "Well, it, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. It's all mm -hmm. you know. Everything's made up, and the points don't matter." Um, <laughs> and he 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 does recognize kind of the futility of a lot of stuff within daily life, within the way humans interact. Um, and stuff but he still he has this kind of innate drive to him that I, I don't know if he truly understands um but he's like trying to figure out i think that's why he's so inquisitive that's why he's like he's he's trying to figure himself out i think um and meanwhile 
Marty is just kind of a down to earth family man, yeah. typical cop, cop has a mistress on the on the side mm. um, and doesn't know about anything related to like serial killers, ritualistic mm. killings. And so when when Rusty comes in and he's like, there's art in this i can smell the ash and taste it in the atmosphere right and he's just like what the fuck is you saying <laughs> i i love these two there's there's so much fun to watch together they're both such intense performers this thing like lives on their performances i keep looking at matthew mcconaughey like he's some sort of a magic trick because like 1995 rust coal is like so intense and jagged and sharp and he walks just like very stiffly and there's a shot of marty in the car waiting for rust to walk back from a crime scene and he's like why does he walk so slow (laughs) (laughs) but younger rust looks like death like the yes. embodiment of death. If that was the twist at the end when you're watching episode one, like, oh, Matthew McConaughey is the Grim Reaper. Of course he is. Look at him. But then you see like 2012 Rust and he's gone from looking like capital D death to looking like he is dead. He's such a hollow little shell. <laughs> but he's still got this like intensity to his gaze. And that's the biggest drama in the show. Like, what happened to this man to turn him into this? You look at beginning Marty and end Marty, and you can draw a line there. But with Rust, there's so much haunting mystery there. Yeah. Just all on Matthew McConaughey's face. Yeah. And and so he, he kind of goes through this case just real purpose-driven, but also just kind of kind of assuming the worst of, of people. Um, not not in a way that I think flares up in in like a, he assumes the worst of mm. someone and then gets it wrong, but it like like we said, it's just kind of deeply yeah. cynical. Um, mm-hmm. and by the end of this show, they've gone through so much trauma and terror and and per- personal struggle, and this this case like seeing how deprived this the killer was and the kind of horrors that he did and to see his carcosa this like Mm -hmm. physical manifestation of what it's like inside the killer's mind cole has a a connection to it in the center of it Mm -hmm. he 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 has a line earlier on in the show where he says something along the lines of like there were times where i felt like i was main line in the answers of the universe (laughs) or something like i was straight snorting the galaxy right (laughs) just figuring out life and like he has he finally has that moment in the midst of these just giant twig sculptures and mummified bodies Mm -hmm. and all of this and when he finally decompresses with marty after it's all said and done and he gets out of the hospital i guess he's not technically out yet but they have this moment where they're just kind of debriefing and he was like i had this moment in the midst of that 
and I felt my daughter, the daughter that he yes. lost, the wife that he yes. lost. He felt like he had a connection. Well, I think his wife's. And I think his wife is alive. Just like they just there. divorced. Yeah. I, he talks about his dad, like his father is dead and You're his right. daughter yeah. is dead, and those are the two forces he feels when he like gets shot or stabbed or whatever it is and he is on the brink of death and that's what sort of brings this near nihilistic man to to feeling more hopeful that he believes like oh this life doesn't have any meaning but when he's in this sort of abstract dark space between life and death he's like I felt that my daughter was there and I felt that she loved me and that was all I could feel there were no other senses there was only love (laughs) that really reinvigorates him your rust is so he's looking at the world from a completely different way than marty is because he's had this terrible loss where he was married and he, he had this little girl who when she was just like two years old got hit by a truck and you know like his marriage fell apart after that and he's still so haunted by it and he was in undercover narcotics for a long time like for way longer than it seems like officers are put undercover with narcotics. Like in any other case, he would have been pulled after like nine months or something, but he was there like twice that long. He's the one that's not the, like the officer that's undercover. He's the like, He's he's the like narcotics user and dealer that happens to also be on, on the employ of, of, of the, the cops. I thought that like, maybe he, he did when he was younger that he did have a history with narcotics but it seemed like they put him in undercover that he was like and he was so, so far in yes yeah, yeah. It, it's he's <laughs> basically no longer a cop even though he technically is he was just like <laughs> he was so far in that like even the right. normal undercover ones like wouldn't yes. go as far yeah. as he did uh, yeah and so he's taken all of these drugs and they've really affected his mind and his senses i think maybe related to that maybe separately he also like has synesthesia and mm-hmm. if what the exact thing is maybe he can like see sounds or, or smells or something because i know it can come in all sorts of different combinations for people's brain but literally on a sensory level he's in a different world than marty is and you see uh, uh, cole experiencing these things like at the very end when he's in that like old army fort where they stage that final chase which is this incredible set piece mm-hmm. so specific i've never seen anything like that before and he it's sees cool, that like yeah. swir- swirling dark galaxy you really don't know how much of that is true i mean there's not this isn't a show that really has a supernatural or like magic realism element to it mm-hmm. but there is that gap in perspective where you know it, it when rust looks at things with his with his drug history and the synesthesia and things like that he can see things that aren't literally there but is that am i being set up to believe that is that too easy an explanation when he sees something truly bizarre i can presume that's not real but i don't know for sure you don't also have like marty's view of that thing saying what are you talking about, Russ? There's nothing there. I don't see any galaxy. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's one of those things that he just kind of deals with. And 
it kind of nudges him in di- well not not really nudges him i i feel like it just opens him up to other possibilities rather than like being pushed like he he gets the answer from god and you need to go talk to this person right it's not like that um yeah it is this like weird mysterious thing that he sees from time to time but he, mm. even the, the the show is not really interested in truly exploring what he sees like every yeah. now and then you see like the sky is a little bit of a weird color um there's the the like weird phenomenon like he gets out of the car and the birds do the thing where they are in the yeah. like weird thing and like that is maybe the most like realistic thing that you could be mm-hmm. like i wonder mm-hmm. if that was actually there or not um but yeah, that that's kind of the extent of it. Um, but I, I I do like that it ends on this much more optimistic note. That like, hey, it really all it like at the end of the day, it is just about love, and we need to yeah do better at that. And I think the world will improve. Um, mm-hmm. So I do like that the show ends with Rust and and Marty. Uh, kind of coming back together and forming the sort of they come back together as investigative partners like we have to finish what we started regardless of all the other conflict and space that there's been between us mm-hmm. and then after the case is solved marty's still there like it's, when they're both in the hospital and russ wakes up and marty's just there and he's like what are you doing here <laughs> yeah. they just like razz on each other after he's immediately returned to consciousness, yeah. flipping each other off in hospital gowns. Absolutely. Yeah, and then, <laughs> then Marty seems to like take responsibility for like, I gotta get Cole back on his feet. Uh I he kind of it seems like he kinda only has me. After what we've been through, I gotta be there for him. He gives yeah. him uh, some sort of little package and <laughs> Russ makes the joke like, what are we getting engaged now? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so what did you think of the like modern day interview stuff that was like interstitched into th- this case in 1995? Um what what were you thinking as you got bits and pieces of, of that? Uh it takes you a l- a little bit to figure out exactly what the structure is and what's going on. Uh, like you can't look at it and say, ah, this is 2012 until one of them says it is now 2012. Right. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you yeah. know, we haven't, you two haven't been partners together on the force since like 2002. So the show's sort of in like three stages, the like 95, 96, the 2002, and then the 2012. And there's all this sort of distance and mystery between each of them. And you can tell, like, something went wrong. Something got weird. And that's why these two detectives are being interviewed again now. And they do good work with how they are being interviewed. Like, Marty is wearing, he's wearing a nice suit. He's being interviewed in a much more public sort of conference room. It's like a, a room that's got an internal window and the blinds are open. And you can see, like, the busyness of the police office headquarters behind him. Like, he's a much more respectable public interview going on. He's, he's dressed well. 
whereas Rust is like brought in in like his sweaty work shirt. He's all unkempt. He's being interviewed in some back storage room that's full of boxes where nobody can see him. He's like this sort of dirty, dark secret that they have to bring into yeah. the office. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and then they like they get him alcohol when he asks for like, I want my yeah. beer. <laughs> um, and he's like, I'm a day drinker. By this time of day, I, I'd, I'd be completely drunk. I don't know how to handle myself without it and they're like okay we'll get you one beer and i like that you see him slowly get more and more tall boys and then he starts he gets a pocket knife and he starts carving open the beer cans and just like making little like figurines out of them and then there's something that the the writer and creator says in these like little after the episode hbo featurettes where he mentions that that was part of russ plan that he's like if i ask him for a beer uh, then I can make anything I say inadmissible because I'm I'm intoxicated or whatever, which never comes right, yeah. up. That is not mentioned, like it's on just the kind actual of a self show at any point. Clever, like, yeah. But it's yeah. it's an interesting layer that, like, if you really know your stuff, if you're very experienced with like crime or legal thrillers, you'd look at this and say, "Oh, there's another angle he's playing here." Yeah, um, yeah, that stuff is really neat. I. I kind of I remember the first time watching this and like it was these moments that I truly felt like I didn't know what was happening or what was next. Like I could follow along in the case and it felt like they were on the right track. It felt like I know they were getting all this stuff right. But then there was still just some chunk of it that was like. Okay, something happened after the case, right? Or during the or at the end of the case. And that's kind of true. We'll get to that in a sec. When they think they solve the case, there is kind of a big cover up of of mm-hmm. what actually happened. Yeah. Um, and despite them not liking each uh, each other like they are just on the same page of like we like this is our story i i did this here let mm-hmm. me shout off all of these rounds so that even if they're being interviewed separately they still have the exact same story all of that um but i was kind of wondering like as it was progressing yeah did did Cole kill someone? And like, yes, is is he like? Did he become a copycat killer to lure yeah. the real killer out? Uh, it like is one of the bodies that that is pinned on the killer, not actually the killers, and it's his. Like, what's happening here? And you can tell, you can look at all the evidence that these two younger detectives are giving them, and absolutely understand and empathize with. Yeah, that makes sense. I I understand why you were going after this angle, and it, it does lead like. I didn't believe that Cole was doing that, but I'm like, there's something up with this guy. Like maybe there's like an old murder from his past when he was undercover that they're trying to something dig like back that. Up. Yeah. Like I believe this guy has done some dark things, but when they're showing like him at the crime scene, I'm like, this sounds legitimate, but I don't think this is where the story is going. Right. Yeah. It's it's just it's interesting because it feels like the biggest wrench in the case of just like 
but what is this? Like, why are yeah. what's happening over here? We this seems to be kind of wrapped up. What's happening? Um, so yeah, I I I like that. Kind of independently, each of them are like, wait, did something new happen? Like, what's g- g- going? Yeah. If you're interviewing me on this stuff, I bet you're also ta- talking to Rusty, or I bet you're also talking to Cole. Um, or and, uh, and so yeah we get this moment where rusty ends up following marty on his way home from one of these interviews and it's just like we need to talk like let's yeah. go get a beer and they finally have this moment yeah where they are uh like reinvestigating um which I, so like here's the, the the thing I think Matthew McConaughey's character is so interesting at least to me is mm-hmm. that he is both like as as we mentioned like his mind has been affected by all of these drugs he's not one hundred percent like socially there he can be at times like we get glimpses of that uh but then also he's just so damn smart he's so clever and like he's he's good at at it he's a high functioning alcoholic which some of these things are also kind of like telltale signs of serial killers especially mm. when you have an empty room and there's just a mirror <laughs> the size of a quarter He's, where you can only yeah. look in into your eye right god what a weird thing His and apparently that was mcconaughey's is- idea of just like what if he just has this little tiny mirror he does like that's like a real like meditation tactic and he's like this guy would be into it i love that you go see rust's apartment and it has uh like a twin mattress on the floor there's nothing in it there's like boxes you think he's going to unpack and you think you find out like he's not even that fresh into town he has been there with sufficient time to have unpacked things and bought real furniture. He just has folding chairs. He has lawn chairs. And what's even sadder is that it's not even the same kind. He's got two kinds of different lawn chairs, not even two of one kind. I don't know what it is, but that's so miserable. Right. They don't even match. And then when uh, Russ, uh, when Marty's wife kicks him out and he goes to like crash the night at Russ's place because he doesn't know where else to go, he's like, you you have an upstairs. You don't use it. <laughs> yeah, it's like the whole you other sleep floor. on a twin mattress on the floor of the living room across yeah. from a murder wall. <laughs> this is terrible. But yeah, like that's that I think is why he's so interesting. He's just mm-hmm. weird. He's so yes. weird, but he's so smart at the same time because mm-hmm. he it just immediately is like. Oh, there's something else g- 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 going on here. There was another body, wasn't there? Um, which he, we learned to, we 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 learned that he already knew about, and that he's been investigating mm. this in the years since he he left. Like he never really left the case. He always knew, like there's something, something that we missed, and I just I don't know what it is. Um, 
And it's not until like that decade later that he starts to kind of make some bigger breakthroughs and, and stuff like that. But yeah, he's just he's smart. Like he's he will will be there, but and just being like, give me the beer, you know. Um, mm. he has he has his whole storage unit of all of the files that he somehow mm. has copies of and access to <laughs> uh which i don't know is this something he was doing back in 95 and 96 just making copies of all of this for himself uh that's an interesting uh thing there that they don't really explore um because I, I mean, Moriarty has to like go to the right people and schmooze them and bribe them to mm. get these <clears throat> files, whereas Cole just already has them. <laughs> I do like when he has to bring not just cocaine, but like very good cocaine to try and get back in with some of his old, uh, you know, gang members when he was Biker undercover gang, yeah. in narcotics, and he can like make a mock-up of like real evidence just out of like a bag of flour like he does this at home he sneaks it under his jacket and it's just like hey gotta go check something out in the evidence locker and he goes back there and just switches them and he's like that was too easy and then in like the featurette the writer's like yeah it was that easy back then <laughs> that's real yeah. yep mm-hmm. absolutely <laughs> um so you mentioned him g- g- getting back in with the biker g- gang mm. here. Why did you think of this big, long one shot sequence? <laughs> Incredible. Uh, it, right. We take <laughs> so this like good. looking back on the show. We took so many like really interesting side roads into different possible paths to get at identifying this killer. And this includes Russ trying to ingratiate himself back into his old gang because he's like, oh, they think I'm dead. Like they last time they saw me, I got shot. And then like the police force took me back and got me rehabilitated. I can just tell them that I was laying low, that I faked my death to like get away from something. And now I'm coming back. Escaped uh, to Mexico. And right. Like so we're that, in like yeah. these different we're in a we're with different people. We're in a different setting than we really are the rest of the series. It's just sort of like an episode or two of this interesting side story where they yeah they have to do this raid or something and all of these people running around in all of these different spaces it's not just a one shot this is a big scale one shot and it's it's one of those one shots that i i feel like there's some sneaky cuts in there somewhere Mm -hmm. some somehow because that's how they make all of those but right who doesn't even still cut right yeah only alfred hitchcock Good Lord, it's just incredible. The 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 blocking, the the scale. Yeah. It's 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 not the big long one shot like hallway sequence from Old Boy mm-hmm. or Dare Daredevil. This is an entire neighborhood that they are weaving yes. in and out of houses uh, and around and like, holy shit! Right, just I God, can't believe it's, it's so cool. The scale of this <laughs> so thing, cool. it's really yeah. mind blowing, and I did not know this was something in this show that I had to look forward to. Good, I'm so glad <laughs> this that this ta- was a, supr- it a surprise. It doesn't get talked about the same way as things like you just mentioned, like the Daredevil hallway fight or the Old Boy hallway fight or something. I 
so this was a complete surprise to me and I'm happy it was like, yeah, let's not talk about this so much so that people can be surprised by its existence. God. And what's even more haunting about it. I've said the word haunting like 12 times. That's Mm -hmm. the category under which you place this show. Blockbuster was still open. You'd go to Blockbuster under the, the sign that says haunting. And it's just a bunch of box sets of True Detective season one. But the fact that you never go back there. Are any of those people okay? Like at one point, Rust finds like like a 12-year-old boy who's living in one of these houses. And he's like, ushers him in, like, lay down in the bathtub. Everything's going to blow over. You're going to be fine. Was that boy fine? We don't know. Like we have the beginning of a story with no end because there's no other plot reason to get back there. Who were any of those people? Right. It's it, like you you can imagine because the, the whole thing is it's it's not the cops raiding that place. It's mm. it's Cole and his former biker gang mm. members dressed up as cops trying to do a raid on a particular house. And then the inciting violence draws the real cops but I'm sure also drew out uh, like not only the, the people of the neighborhood who, as we saw, were out there with like bats and g- g- guns mm. and stuff like that. But I'm sure other members of the biker gang show up. Like, I, I don't find that hard to believe that it is just this big chaotic like fight that is yeah. happening in this neighborhood. And they just in the midst of it, they 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 get this one guy out and just leave and never look back. Yeah, it's just like what what happened to all these people? There's so in hindsight, there's a lot of moments like that. Looking back on this season, like there's all these characters that they stop and interview who seem like they've got full lives and full stories, and it's like, nope, that guy was just for that one interview. We're not talking to that preacher again. Right? Kittle Shay Wiggum as uh, uh, uh Shay Wiggum the, is the one who does come back. I I really like getting to see Shay Wiggum. I've seen him play like just sort of like heavy authority figures in other contexts. So seeing him playing this like tent revival preacher was really fun. And he gets so angular sideburns. He gets so into it, the way he's moving on stage and just firing everything up. He is like it like he he's a good actor. I like him a lot, but you you do see him in kind of the same roles over and over again. Here he is as as the government man, right? He is the agent. And then here he is in a similar kind of like authority figure. But what if religious instead? Right. And it's right. like instead of wanting to chase of, down Ethan Hunt, it's yeah. kind of the same character. But it just he has to be like, and then God said that blah, 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 blah. Right. <laughs> yeah. He nails it. And it's just like you you bring in that type of actor to play that role to really make him stand out to really make mm-hmm. him feel like like what you said like they just they he has a full life it se- seemed like yeah. he did have a church that church burned down so now he's in this tent they're tr- they're tr- mm. traveling around in this t- tent but even like 10 years down the road when you go see him again um yeah like he's down on his luck he's no longer a preacher the mm. money kind of 
dried up from all this turtle stuff, uh, the, the, which we haven't even really mentioned yeah, yet. Yeah, we haven't talked show. about the there's, actual there's so plot much, of the killer. Right? Yeah. right. I do like that you learn. Shea Wiggum seems initially shady, but when you come back to him those years later, you do learn that he learned there was real shady stuff going on in his church and he left. He's like, I don't yeah. want to be a part of that. Yeah. Kind of lost I, his faith as a rare, as a rare result. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to mention something real briefly. Uh, in the little side plot where Rust is trying to get back with his old gang, uh, Marty is sort of his accomplice. He's on his tail. He's like trailing him back in the car with a walkie-talkie, and he's just in like plain clothes. So he's just wearing like a Pink Floyd T-shirt. Mm-hmm. The Pink Floyd T-shirt jumped out to me. I recognize that artwork. That is uh, an illustration like the Pink Floyd album, The Division Bell. I'm not majorly a Pink Floyd fan, but what I know about this is the Publius Enigma. Have you ever heard the words Publius Enigma? No, I have not. The Publius Enigma is an internet phenomenon and an unsolved problem that began with cryptic messages posted by a user identifying only as Publius to the unmoderated Usenet news group alt.music.pinkfloyd. The message proposed a riddle in connection with the 1994 Pink Floyd album The Division Bell, promising that the answer would lead to a reward. It remains unclear if the enigma involves a genuinely solvable puzzle as part of an early internet-based contest, or if it was a convoluted hoax. Is this how Tannis starts the <laughs> podcast Tannis? I think they do bring this up in Tannis. They Did talk about a lot of early of internet yeah. Usenet mysteries, and I think Publius Enigma was one of them. I like just watched a video on this the other day, and I... Like, I, I can, it makes sense for the time. The show's in like 95, 96. Sure, Marty seems like you would been, be into some old Pink Floyd. Him wearing a shirt with like an illustration of Pink Floyd album artwork. Yeah, you don't think anything mm-hmm. of it. It makes sense in the context. But the fact that that particular album is tied to this weird puzzle, the people are like, was that a puzzle? Like, was, if you went down the rabbit hole and you solved it, did you get something? Or was it just somebody like fooling around on a Usenet group sending out cryptic messages? And to this right. day, nobody knows. I think that's such a nice echo of the more literal mysteries of the show. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, and it's like you, you think he's not like he wouldn't be an Internet user. Like, I don't think he's on Usenet himself in those right he has nothing to do with this but it's a it's a fun easter egg for nerds in the audience what i was about to say is that like the internet was so small back then Mm -hmm. that like some kind of mystery like that would have easily made the made the news and if he listens to pink floyd which i imagine he would right like Sure, I'm sure he's heard of the Publius Enigma, right? I I don't know. I don't know if word of that would have reached him, but who knows? It it reached me. I thought that was just an interesting bit of of costuming with some real meaning behind it. Yeah. Uh, One thing I want to kind of talk about that I thought was really fascinating uh, was when they go to that revival tent. 
Um, mm. They're having this conversation kind of at the back of the tent and Cole is being his usual like cynical self of like mm. this preacher's just spouting bullshit. He's really just heightening these people's like the uh capacity for fantasy and stuff mm-hmm. like that so when even like the smallest of quote unquote coincidences happen they just yeah. assume it's uh you know this bigger miracle he like he just has to speak like he is an authority figure on that and the x y and z and then it's not until like an episode or two later when they mention that Cole ends up also becoming like one of the police department's like go to officers yeah. for interrogating people. I liked that. Yes. And I like that we th- see them sometimes on other cases, just like routine day to day, non serial killer investigation stuff with the police force. Yeah. Uh, but his tactics is the exact same thing that he was ranting against in that revival tent. He's like, I have to speak with, or not, I, I, I have to, but he, he speaks with a certain authority, but is empathizing with them at the same time. He's like reaching down to their level, being like, I understand you, I know this. And, and, in a sense, knowing what we know about Cole and his undercover work and just how far he went, like, it's not that he's, like, making up stuff, right? Like, I'm sure he does actually know how to connect to these people here. Um, but, like, it, it was just kind of fascinating to see him, like, in that role. It's like, he's the preacher now interesting mm-hmm. this is uh, huh uh, so he doesn't believe in all of that stuff but then also can do all of that stuff which i think adds to his own disbelief in that he's like see i can do it and i don't believe in all of that that that, that stuff so why should any of these people believe in it right um so i i just i i liked that kind of realization mm. of character and how he thought and just yeah how he conducted himself on the yeah on the force yeah um so the when they are chasing the killer in the final episode and rust has followed him into that maze of like stick sculptures and this abandoned like worn down overgrown old fort the the killer keeps taunting him and calling him little priest and they kill the killers that you don't get a chance to mm-hmm. do a, an interview with that guy. So you have no idea what it was he really meant. And you don't know how much he has been following these detectives in return. You don't, it's not clearly indicated that he is. You never see like, a, a mysterious point of view shot of somebody looking through Marty's window and you don't know who it is. It's not like that, but there's yeah. so much left unknown and unseen with that killer that you really don't know what he's been up to. And maybe he has been like, he earmarked these two and has been like following them, maybe just reading their names in the paper and sort of how much does he know about rust? Has he keyed in on this 
preacherly aspect of Rust and how he talks to mm. the people he's interrogating. <laughs> we don't know. I, that yeah, this that- series ends with so much gone unspecified with the serial killer. Childress is his name, I think, and everything yeah. in his whole family. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I think the killer sees a sort of connection to him, a similarity, which is why I think it was so easy for us to believe like in the modern day times. Yeah, that uh, maybe maybe he did kill someone like that is something that a lot Mm -hmm. of detective fiction likes to play with of of like the it or just cop fiction in general like mm-hmm. you have these this stuff that glorifies it but then you also have this this stuff that is, is is like but are the cops aren't they just criminals with a badge like what's really the difference here mm-hmm. um and i think a lot of detective fiction also kind of does the same thing where it's like how, how do these detectives like how like to, to do what they do, they kind of have to think like a criminal and to think like a criminal. Does that put them so close that they are one, too? Does that does that like tempt them to to do this of, of like, oh, if I can think like one, then maybe I can get away with it because I know better. Right. Or hmm. something like that. And I, I, I think there is just this kind of. Innate connection between the murderer and of like hey if you've made it this far i i I know that you know like they're like we we have some kind of connection here so i I don't think that answers why he's like little priest right but still just like there is a familiarity between them Mm. if that makes sense and I do so. like that in both of these showdowns with at first the people they think are the killers and then the literal killer that the killer is taken out before you really get a chance to talk to him. Like right, that's yeah. one of the the big regrets about that like showdown in 96 is that after Marty finds those two kids locked up, one of whom has already died and the other whom is uh, emaciated. His fatherly mm-hmm. instincts take over and he goes out to that guy and just shoots him in the head. Like point blank blows him apart. Like that's the goriest shot in the whole series. And and then that's what sets that whole thing off. And then uh, that's how they have to kind of cover it up and make it seem like, no, those guys shot at us first. We were doing this in self-defense, not in a singular act of blind instinctual rage. Uh, and what they regret later is if we'd kept that guy alive, what else could we have learned? Could we have gotten to the real killer first? And when they do get to who you know is the real killer, they take him out, but you really have no idea what his deal was. There's allusions to things. Like, he's got all of those scars along, like, the bottom half of his face, like, from his nose down. And I think the old uh, housekeeper for the family just offhandedly mentioned, like, oh, his daddy did that to him, but what what is what do you mean like how why with what right, yeah what happened to his dad well we see what happens to his dad he's uh tied up in a shed and dead you have so few you have so few threads to put all the stuff together at the end uh yeah. which is chilling <laughs> like i can tell things were left out on purpose i, I think it's skillfully done 
how little you really know about that whole side of the family. Yeah. Yeah. If 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 this was more of like a daytime regular cable television show, like you would have had an episode of them kind of decompressing. Right. Mm. And like you would have seen the body of yeah of the father being taken out of that shed you there, there just would have been more things to, to like wrap it all up and be like yes work is being done here um but we don't get those moments because like we said mm-hmm. it is really kind of about the relationship between yeah marty and rusty so yeah, I, I, man, I, I, I thought this is phenomenal. I loved watching it a second time. It's just yeah, as I, good the second time. But yeah, I, something I want to ask you about is that in the 2002 era, which is it's very funny to suddenly see these characters interacting with things like a T-Mobile store. <laughs> like they start to be like recognized. Or like Marty's kids are watching something on TV and you don't see it. But from the way he describes it, it's the simple life. Like I haven't thought about the simple <laughs> life in like 18 years. To have these more recognizable pieces of pop culture interact with this very specific rural show was interesting. Yeah. I thought there was going to be a little bit more with his daughter who was sort of acting out. Did you think that at any time? Uh, the, back when do you remember when you first watched the show because I was looking at her wondering if she was going to be wrapped up in this murder plot since we had seen other young women get, yeah. get taken into its entire extended web yeah that was I, I, I think more so meant to be a red ha- herring right I, I, mm. I think you absolutely are meant to be like his daughter's acting out she's gonna like Mm -hmm. get in with the wrong crowd and find herself kidnapped or something like that um and that doesn't really happen there's there is that one night uh where she's out with the two always having sex with them and again it just goes back to the father and the way that he lashes out and just beats up those boys after they like spend the night in in jail um Mm -hmm. yeah like it's like he 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 slaps her and it's 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 another sort of wedge driven between him and the rest of his family this family he is so driven to protect but who he doesn't really have a good relationship with besides protector and provider you know, it, it never seems like him and his kids are having like that much fun together. I think we haven't talked about Michelle Monaghan at all yet. She's interesting to watch her journey throughout this whole series. Yeah, I, I think what's really telling on Marty is his line when he's speaking to his wife about the purpose of mm. the family. And he's like, no, it's meant to serve me. And at that is just like motherfucker when you first in the first couple episodes when you learn that he's got this uh girlfriend who he goes and sleeps with and who you know is 
somebody he knows from work. And it's later when you see that she is a court stenographer who has to sit there and like type out his words while he looks at her weird, like giving a deposition in court about a case. I I liked that reveal that she is kind of stuck being in his circle now, even after they like had this affair and this breakup. Um, At first he says, it's important to have a way to unwind with the work that you do with the violence that you see, you can't take all that directly home. He's like, I need a buffer. She's this buffer for me. And you're like, that's the wrong way of going about it. But I kind of understand like the purpose of what it is you're talking about of like, I am trying to shield my family from all of this trauma. I am trying to be the best man. I'm doing all these terrible things outside of the home so that I am a better man when I get home. But that what just ex- expressing and like there's there's is, no. I was, I was going to say what he's express express expressing is the need for therapy. <laughs> and instead, yeah, right. he's, he's, yes, he's just like that. therapy. But wait, pussy is therapy, right? <laughs> and, 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 and everyone is, is just like, no, uh, uh-uh, no, it's not. Stop. <laughs> and he's just like pussy. Yeah. <laughs> and that's exactly what him and his wife are trying to say to Rust. They're like, Rust, pussy is therapy. Like, go get laid and he'll be less intense. Which, I mean, look, let's be honest, it helps to a certain degree every now and 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 uh-huh. and, and, and then, right? It will help you relax. Mm-hmm. That's what sex does. But it's not therapy right like it's it's not it's not this like let me shield my family from all of the horrors that i see Mm. it's no Mm. it's not Mm. that (sighs) but yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah how much his family falls apart is i like that we see that up close that that is one of the major things of the story and that you don't need his family being in literal danger like, you don't need his daughter being brought into this serial killer plot. Just the fact that there is all of this arguing and, and tension and dissolution there in the household is is plenty. And then it's it's very touching when he's in the hospital after that final showdown with Childress and then his wife and his two daughters are there with him. It's nice mm-hmm. when he goes to see her again and you can see that even though they've had all these terrible experiences, like, she goes and sleeps with Rust sleeps with is a very uh, gentle term for him just screwing her up against a counter for 30 seconds yeah. <laughs> in yeah. his sad bachelor apartment with one mattress on the floor they don't even get to the mattress on the floor they're on the counter <laughs> like the fact that she's and she does that so she's like I need this to be done he keeps cheating on me the only I need to chase him away officially and I need to sleep with somebody else like the person closest to him, and that'll be the nail in the coffin. That's what I need is the nail in the coffin. I need yeah. this marriage to be over. I need him to want it to be over. I can't be the only one advocating for this here. Yeah. The fact that you see her in 2012 and you can see that she does still, she's concerned about him. She still cares for him in some way. Maybe she doesn't love him anymore, but she, there's not a grudge there anymore mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, I, I, I think her character is fantastic because similar to what we said about Shea Wiggum's character, like 
an actor of her caliber, right? It just mm-hmm. lends a certain weight to 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 that family, and it's just it, it makes it that much more real, makes it that much more believable. Um, and then yeah, and, and then it, to get to see her family too, the way they nag her, the way uh, mm. that Marty and her dad just do not get along, yeah. which is interesting. For the show, because Marty seems like a man who is very conservative, very rightly leaning, and I, I, it just the the father also is see is very cons like, but even more so right so much so that they just don't get along, which is something you don't really see all that much. Um, yeah, where it's like this dad is too intense, and and Woody Harrelson looks like a GI Joe. He's got this like chiseled face that looks like somebody sculpted him, and like the bluest eyes and the blondest hair, and he looks like this plastic all American action figure. So then there's there's people who like still don't think he's good enough. It is an interesting addition to his character, even if you see very little of it. The friction between him and his in laws. Yeah. And there's another sort of weird, not red herring, but like when they go to visit the in-laws, the two daughters are like out on a boat on like this lake or pond in the backyard. And I kept watching them like the boat's going to tip over. One of them's going to drown. Like this seems bad. Why are they in a boat? Is this mean? Does this mean something? No, they're just they're just having fun fishing in a boat. But you're at such a high tension level watching this show that everything seems suspicious. There's no way those girls are just fishing. One of them's going to get a hook to the face. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That or they're going to pull hook. up a dead body. It, yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's what I was just about to say. Right. Um, yeah, man, that like uh, there's so much tension that I, I think, yeah, even, even just small things feel like they're going to be something. But then, like we said, mm-hmm. just quickly move on and you get another thing that is like, oh, this could be something. Wait, no. OK. Oh, wait, that could be something. Wait, no. All right. <laughs> but I th- the show is good at it. Like it feels like you are part of the investigation. You have to sift through what has meaning and what doesn't right and in the first episode they talk about how the other officers call rust the tax man because instead of having just like a little notepad he has this like full-size like legal paper ledger that he carries around with him door to door and they're like he looks like the tax man collecting old records because he has to take down so much information about every single crime scene he yes he he draws yep that too that's yeah he's you the the show forces the audience to be rust like you have to look at everything you have to look at every person that they are interviewing in regards to the case and outside of it every person you see rust interrogating seemingly for another case uh for the police like that woman who they believe has, has killed her child she has nothing to do with it it's just another example another illustration of rust at work you have to look mm-hmm. at everything like it might be part of it, because that's what it is at the end of the day. They go by this old church. The guy mowing the lawn is like, oh, yeah, this, you know, this school closed years ago. And they're like, OK, well, thanks for your time. And that guy was the killer the whole time. 
<laughs> like the tiniest thing did mean everything. Anything could be a key. It was. Yeah, I'm glad that this almost kind of sort of operated on Scooby-Doo mechanics where it's just like <laughs> the first adult that you meet is the, is the <laughs> killer, killer, right? They go to, to that school early on and like yes. they, they meet the actual killer. You never get, 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 get a great look at, at, at his face so you don't really know Um there is that like great kind of reveal when the newer the the the, the two black detectives uh, are mm-hmm. g- 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 going by in their car and they stop to ask directions yeah. and they ask the guy and y- you know it's like okay this guy's being a little ominous like there's something up here and then it does the thing where like the camera pans around so it's he's lit a l- little bit d- 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 differently and you can finally see all of these scars and it's just like that's him there you go the killer mm-hmm. bum, bum, bum. I, and then I, they also had so that bigfoot th- moment with the dude in the gas mask as he's like yeah walking out right <laughs> wild i what i thought the show was was i thought they encountered like i i didn't think it was a guy mowing the lawn i thought it was like a guy painting and he's up on those like painters stilts mm-hmm uh, just like painting that like a real a ceiling or a high part of a wall or something. And that later I had the same structure, but I had like the wrong handyman task he was doing. And I thought they were being chased by a man in painters stilts at the end of the show. And then I realized, <laughs> no, there's an X-Files. That's that. <laughs> You've got the wrong mid 90s conflicted partnership crime p- procedural there. Yeah, you've got the uh, like. Z-list daredevil and Spider-Man yelling stilt man. Um, <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, but yeah, good show. I I I like mm. this a lot. Do you have any other kind of like last I, thoughts that you wanna do? I know. Just want to uh, shout out Ann Dowd in that final episode. Really great performance. There's so many incredible performances in these from even these characters who were just in there for one scene. Yeah. And I think that was one of the strengths of the structure of the show where you see them talking to so many different people, whether it's part of the main investigation or not. Uh, It's just everybody that, that main biker dude, ginger, he was incredible. Like there's all these really, really impressive small supporting performances throughout the whole season and i i can imagine that the rest of the seasons deliver on that as well yeah absolutely and i love the the use of the setting it's so specific like louisiana is i think a state that has tax breaks where things frequently film there but this is felt so genuine to specifically where it was set in southern louisiana and Mm -hmm. there you see this in the opening credits that there's all these massive like oil refineries and factories and just industrial structures of all kinds littering the landscape that just loom over the background whenever they go find a body or investigate something they're in this like massive flat green space with like so little Mm. mark of human civilization except for a huge factory in the background and you never talk to anybody who works at the factory they never mention like Although the oil company, they're the largest employer in town. Like there's, they never discuss it. It's just this looming 
like physical presence in the landscape that makes you feel uneasy, even though they never attach any specific quality at all to this infrastructure. Yeah, absolutely. There you go. I think that kind of wraps us up for our thoughts on True Detective Season 1. We hope you enjoyed it as well. Um, I have bingo already pulled up and ready yes! to go. And I think this was a good week for bingo. We've been dry off. for a while. Yeah. Um, so I'm I I want to make an argument for villain with a pet. He did have that dog. Uh, he ends <laughs> up killing the dog, unfortunately, to like make sure he stays quiet, which sucks. But I. I- he does have a dog, but I don't feel like you see enough of the do- the dog is just sort of incidentally part there, of his yeah. creepy home life. It's it doesn't have the same presence as a Mister Bigglesworth. Yeah, um, so maybe not then, because you know he's not the like Bond villain with the cat yeah. that's on his lap. Just exactly, like, um, but. Yeah, let's it, see. Um, what I will give you, though, is locked room mystery. Rust has a very interesting monologue where he talks about how the human mind is a locked room. Every mystery is a locked room mystery because you can never completely get inside somebody else's head mm. to really understand their perspective and their motivation and what they experienced. He's like, every person's experience is one of one. Yeah. So in a philosophical sense, you can definitely take locked room mystery. I don't have that one. I just have conspiracy board. Uh, I'm still missing treasure map, big puddle splash, and arted to death. Now, we had people killed in very artistic manners right here in this show. But what we mean is like you suffer for your craft to the point where you are in danger. A, a black swan is what we're looking at here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, cool. Well, that seems to be our update for review show bingo. Uh, so, yeah, good stuff with that inching ever closer to filling mm-hmm. up these boards. But Melissa, let's talk about recommendations uh, for people yeah. who enjoy this. What else might they like? Uh, we have mentioned Hannibal, the TV show from exactly when it came out maybe around this time like early 2010s Hannibal based on the Hannibal Lecter and the books involving that character and surrounding characters this show lasted three seasons uh you have seen all of it I have slowly (laughs) been working my way through it I watched season one when it first aired got a little into season two then we watched season one here on the review show a couple of years ago. I think number 126. Thank you. And I, I have been vowing for years. I'm going to finish Hannibal because it's such a beautiful, well-crafted show. Like it just looks stunning. Nothing looks like Hannibal does. Mm-hmm. The performances are incredible. It's well-written, but it's just so dark. And not dark in like a gruesome, grisly way. It's like emotionally gruesome. Like there's so much manipulation and and gaslighting and like 
anybody around you could be the killer or you could be driven to kill and to eat anybody at any time. Like, I have mm-hmm. to really take Hannibal in small doses. <laughs> in small bites. Yeah. So I'm, yes, yes, small <laughs> bites, little nibbles. I've been slowly nibbling at Hannibal for a while now, uh, but I intend <laughs> to finish it. Good stuff. Uh, Good one stuff. of my favorite crime movies is Zodiac. How have you ever seen Zodiac? I actually haven't. Oh, I really like this one. It's all it's on about the, the, the journalists and the investigators looking for the Zodiac killer in Northern yeah. California in the late 70s. It's also, you see things that are the, you see scenes of the Zodiac killer or somebody who's believed to have maybe been the Zodiac killer uh, attacking or, or you know, looming or creeping out various people but always in an obscured way. You don't see his face. It's hidden in shadow. He's wearing that like Riddler mask. Uh, And you're left really uncertain at the end of things. This movie's mainly following the investigation. And then you like see these scenes of like somebody getting hitchhiking and getting a ride home from a guy who gave them weird vibes. And they're like, was that the Zodiac killer? We don't know. Like there's so few pieces to fit together. Yeah. But it does have a similar angle to the show where like they talk to somebody early on and later they're like years later, they're like, was that him? Was he right there? Did he raise our suspicion? But like we never had enough to absolutely like pin it on this guy. That was him. So it's got that sort of long term regret and 2020 hindsight and, and hauntedness to it. Zodiac. And then two new crime, not new, but I watched two crime movies just this week uh, so that I would have more things to recommend here during our True Detective episode. I watched Blood Simple, which is a movie from the mid 80s that I think was the first film from the Coen brothers. It's written by it's written by both of them, I think, directed by only one, maybe just Joel. And it stars a young Francis McDormand as this woman whose husband runs like a honky tonk in Texas and she's cheating on him with one of the bartenders. And then he tries to put a hit out on them. And it's about how that sort of backfires and, and twists back on itself. Mm, it's a, okay. a real small scale movie. It's only like a 90 minutes long. It's sh- the director of photography was Barry Sonnenfeld, you know, from like the men in black movies, the Adams family movies, it, multiple times during this movie, I did like a whistle at the screen for how stunning the cinematography was. <laughs> like the, there's one scene where the camera pan, pan, like pans down this long bar there at the honky tonk. And it's like sort of hovering over the bar and you see it going. And then there's like a drunk guy passed out on the bar and the camera just sort of like soars over him, over him yeah. and then goes back to like just over the bar. It's so cool. There's lots of stuff that looks like very Evil Dead-esque. It's got that Hmm, energy. Interesting. Okay. I found that on Max. And then I watched Bernie, Richard Linklater's Bernie from 2011. Hmm. This movie stars Jack Black as a mortuary um, uh, funeral director. He corrects somebody at one point during the movie. I'm not a mortician. I'm a funeral director. And he moves to this tiny town in East Texas 
in the mid 90s. So we're in like approximately the same geographical and time region as season one of True Detective. He moves to this little town. Everybody loves him. He's so sweet. He's so charming. He's like really active in the church and he sings in the choir. And like, you know, when some old lady's husband dies, he goes and he checks on her and takes care of her and he'll take her out to lunch. Like, you doing okay, sweetheart? And he befriends this mean, mean old rich widow in town who everybody hates. And it's about their friendship and what that turns into. And I, this movie was, I heard the film critic Leonard Malton mention this on a film podcast years ago. And he's like, okay. Bernie is incredible. Don't know anything about Bernie. Go in knowing nothing about Bernie. This really surprised me. And for years, I'm like, I still don't know what that movie's deal is. I got to watch that thing. And this week, I finally did it. And like, what I told you is more than I ever knew about this movie going in. I'll only go. tell you that uh, it's based on a true story and that Matthew McConaughey is in it as the hey, DA. So it's up to you to imagine how the story I told you at one point involves the DA. <laughs> exactly <laughs> what goes down here. I, I found this on Hulu. I really recommend you check this out. Please cool. do. This was such a surprise. Good stuff. Good stuff. If I had to add to some stuff, I would second Hannibal, and that's an incredible show. Uh, I would also say Mind Hunter on Netflix. David Fincher's oh, yes. Mind Hunter, um, director of Zodiac. Exactly. Yeah. Um, man, uh, just th- that sh- that show looks incredible. It doesn't look like a show. It looks like a just like high production movie. It looks so good, but it is about uh the CIA a- agents uh who are kind of developing the methodology and terminology of studying serial killers. Uh they were the ones that coined the term. Uh so it is based on true events loosely. Um but then uh yeah, man, they they get to like sit down and interview some serial killers. Uh, the actor, I don't, I don't remember his name, but the actor that played the co-ed killer uh, in the show, like at, at least was nominated for an Emmy, if not one, because he was fabulous and terrifyingly creepy in that show. Good, terrify so me. Good. Um, but yeah, there's it like it j- 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 just has this kind of slow burn sense of dread and something is happening. And a lot of the cold opens uh, is about this guy. You don't get, get to see who he is, but he's like slowly learning that he can figure out how to like creep into people's ha- 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 houses and not be noticed. Mm. And you can just see it's him p- practicing. this stuff hasn't killed anyone yet like all of that stuff and you you, like you just are waiting for something to happen and it never does uh but then season two is interesting um because they go down to atlanta and uh are investigating the child murders in atlanta um which were a real thing shocked the entire nation and the person they arrested seemed to know quite a bit 
about mm. what was happening, new stuff that maybe wasn't public, but also I, I, from what I remember, like there was some circumstantial stuff of that made it seem like, well, maybe it wasn't this person because how could they have been there at this time or stuff like that? Uh, and so it's one of those those things of like, did did we get the right guy? The killing stopped, but I don't know. I this just it feels like we're missing something here. Um, and unfortunate, it did not get a third season to kind of wrap oh. every hang up. But holy moly, that show is so good. Go watch that if you enjoyed True Detective. Um, so yeah, that would be my my recommendation there. So good. There you go. Uh, well, I know we are kind of running short on time here, so I will hurry along with my pitches for next week. Shame Timber. Yeah, you're my my first Shame Timber stuff here. So these are Shame Timber pitches that speak more to me than they are like a bigger cultural uh, thing yeah. here. Um, also, I wanted to bring the, these to the table because this year uh is hip hop's 50th anniversary specifically last hey. month august 11th was uh the anniversary of cool herc's back to school party that started it all oh, um nice so i i have three hip hop related films that i have not seen um so pitch number 1 is straight out of compton uh, this ah. chronicles the rise of the rap group N.W.A. Uh, out, as the name implies, out of Compton in Los Angeles. Uh, takes place in the mid-1980s uh, as they kind of revolutionize hip-hop, especially the, the West Coast uh, side of things. Uh, and it deals with uh, their music and their lives uh and something that i think is interesting about this is that ice cube is played by his son yes uh, in, in, I, in I have this. heard that this so, is one of the strengths of the film yeah um so i that is one i have not seen pitch number two is from 2009 it is entitled notorious this is a biopic or biopic on notorious big um it is based on the life of brooklyn-based hip-hop artist the notorious big much of the film dramatizes key events in his life his criminal lifestyle his arrest and release from prison his relationship with sean combs Tupac Shakur, Lil Kim, Faith Evans, uh, his involvement on the East Coast and West Coast hip-hop rivalry, and his drive-by shooting murder on March 9th, 1997. So, life and times of Biggie. Um, let's see, let's see. Uh, interesting. Uh, this also stars uh, young Anthony Mackie. As well as Angela ah! Bassett is in ah, this. A queen. Too. So, 
and there you go and then pitch number three uh this is get rich or die trying uh this is based on this is loosely based on the life and times of 50 cent um what's interesting about this one is that curtis J- jackson aka 50 cent plays uh not himself but the main character which is based on him um, okay so yeah uh let's see uh it stars uh curtis jackson in his feature f- f- film acting debut alongside terrence howard um God, Adewale Akinoye Agbaje. Mr. Echo. Mr. Echo in Lost. Yeah, I hope I said his name right. I'm sure I butchered that. As well as Viola Davis uh, in Ah. this film, which contains autobiographical autobiographical elements from 50 Cent's life. It follows his character, Marcus Greer, a drug dealer who turns away from his criminal life to pursue his passion of rap music. Uh, The film's title is shared with 50 Cent's 2003 debut album of the same name. So. Three pitches here, we got straight out of Compton. Which uh, takes place in the mid 80s notorious which would probably be early 90s and then we got get rich or die trying which would probably be late 90s early 2000s thank you yes i just thought that'd be a neat fact today so you know when they no, took no. place in <laughs> yeah i appreciate it let's <laughs> you know what different needle drops you're in for what sweaters sure, everyone yeah. could be wearing car models yeah. all yeah. sorts of stuff the the point of Shame Timber is that it's not just movies you haven't seen before, but it's movies that you're like, I can't believe I've never seen this before. Where have yeah. I been? Why didn't I do this already? And so I feel like by that metric, as you said these, I did have to remind myself, right, that was a movie for some of them. So I'm going to pick the most recognizable, the most prolific of these three titles because it feels the most fitting of the Shame Timber label. And that is straight out of Compton. It might just be the recency bias, this being the most recent of the three films. But I remember that movie being uh, talked about often. It's spoken fairly highly. I think it's got the same thing like every biopic or movie based on a true story has, where it's like, that didn't really go down that way. And that person's still alive to help produce the movie. Are they like nudging things in one direction too much? But I do remember hearing like strong performances. I, I think this one's solid. I remember it being a big topic. Yeah. And it uh, also feels like it'll give us by the fact that it's about a group and not sure, the other yeah. movies that are about individuals. It feels like a bit of a more comprehensive look at hip hop and its history. Perhaps we might get to meet uh, a greater range of people in this. Yes, um, there are people who play Ice Cube, Doctor. I mean, they're all members of NWA, but you even get to uh, meet a young Snoop Dogg played by Lakeith Stanfield. So, oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, that's solid casting. That's very good. Good stuff indeed. OK, um, well, yeah, we will do uh, straight out of Compton. I am not actually sure where this is streaming. I might look at Max first. Mm. 
uh, and see. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure off the t- top of my head where this is streaming. Um, 2015 film. Oh, it's yeah. on Fubo. Fubo. It's on a premium a premium subscription in Hulu, but I don't know pr- premium as to how. This seems like it's a like a, a four or five dollar rental somewhere. Okay, not bad, not bad at all. Um, but yeah, that is what we will do uh, for this next week. Uh, I guess you could say Shame Timber Week Two uh, over here at the the whatnots. So yeah, I'm excited is- to check this out. This is two hours and 27 minutes. <laughs> That's longer than I thought it was. Good long movie. Good length. Good stuff there. So cool. Uh, well, yeah, that is what we will do for this next week. That about wraps us up for this here podcast. Uh, Melissa, where can the people find you on the Internet? Uh, here? I <laughs> Welcome to the continuing saga of me struggling to figure out how to to. to plug myself i can't keep it on places yeah <laughs> i'm there or i'm not if you look up wilkie wit w-i-l-k-y-w-i-t i'm there or i'm not there uh and i do have another podcast called saturday morning obscurities a show where me and my brother talk about weird old kid shows you feel like only you remember indeed uh if you guys want to follow me i am at yo kyle springer on most of the social media places If you'd like to stay up to date with all of the stuff that we do here at The Whatnots, we are typically at The Whatnots. Uh, If not, then we'll be at The Whatnots official on all the socials. Uh, If you're watching this on YouTube, we got plenty more videos right over here for you to check out. Please go like, share and subscribe. That would help us out a ton. And yeah, this has been number 269 of The Whatnots Review Show. We will see you all next time. Bye. Bye.